Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Use Bosch Camera's onboard intelligent video analytics to quickly locate important recorded incidents or events. Bosch's forensic search saves you time and money by searching through hours or days of video within minutes to find and collect video evidence. Learn more about intelligent video analytics from Bosch in Zones 1-4 through of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science Podcast. This is our latest and our weekly update series. Um, here we are today on uh, January 12th, 2021. Um, not a lot has changed, but yet a lot has changed. And you know, we talk about um, on the COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2 virus front, um, you know, we've all heard a lot of reporting around new variants uh, of the virus, which um, we're told by the virologist and epidemiologist, uh, this is uh, very common, but what does it look like? And with the UK uh, conducting so many forensic assays, they were able to more rapidly start to uncover and then track and do forensic and contact tracing to get, get an idea of where might it have come from, how did it travel. Um, we see South Africa, who doesn't do quite as much, but they do really good, evidently really good fe- uh, forensic work on viral uh, transmission. And so they identified another and seemingly potentially more dangerous in some ways variant. And again, they're telling us the variant uh, means that there's a cluster of mutations that occur almost simultaneously, or at least apparently do. Um, and so, uh, and that the, this is what they're able to, to do. Now there's a lot of research going on currently to understand, well, what are the mechanisms? Why, and why does this look like this is a more transmissible uh, variant uh, or resistant to certain uh, actions? Like, is it resistant to any of the therapeutics that might be employed that are, that are introduced in through medical care rather than our bodies? uh, you know, innate and, and adaptive immune systems. Uh, in addition to the da- adaptations to the adaptate <laughs> adaptation, uh, the adaptation, excuse me, that our bodies are making to fight the illness and uh, eject the virus. So, um, some part of what they're thinking right now on a couple of studies, evidently, is that uh, it, that indeed both of these variants are more transmissible, which is not good news. Again, we've mentioned this before, but uh, if it's easier. Uh, to transmit this, uh, that the transmission chain is more likely to maintain the connections. Um, that's, maybe that's because it's, and this is where they're looking at the mechanisms, because there's more viral particles per droplet. Uh, it's expelling more, vi- you know, the, this type of thing. Should we stay a little more distant? Should we wear even thicker or, you know, more layered masks to reduce the amount of droplets that are carrying the, the viral particles? And so it's sort of why, and then, okay, so then Let's try this and let's try that and then study and see what's going on. Uh, it doesn't look like either that either the variants um, are resulting in increased, if at all, any reinfection, which was an initial concern. Going over to testing, um, you know, again, I've been reading some research around saliva versus swabs. I know at UF, uh, each week I go in and get, you know, you do a drive-through um, and it's some sort of saliva test. So um, that's, it looks like they're both, uh, very uh, effective. They both have their downsides. Swabs can be more, uh, have a higher sensitivity uh, and specificity rate than saliva, but then other tests show the opposite. Um, swabs can be obviously are evidently much, I have not had this procedure much uh, 
more uncomfortable, even though it's just for a second, um, than the saliva, where it's probably more embarrassing. So, um, but uh, but they could be inconsistently used, and uh, therefore they're a lot of times miss some of the viral particles if the person is not heavily infected, but they are in fact infected. In other words, the SARS-CoV-2 virus uh, is in their uh, their nasal tract. So, um, the saliva test does allow uh, the the tester to stay away from you. And so like in our case, they hand you a tube, everybody's masked up, you race around your vehicle with your flashers on, go do your do your uh, collection, if you will, and then you go uh, through the queue and then you, and you're still in your vehicle, hand it off to somebody that's heavily masked and um, they then are labeled and so forth. Um, now we know that there are a lot more home testing kits on the way. Uh, and in fact, there therapies, um, you know, more testing has been, been done on the ivermectin, the anti-parasitic, parasitic. Um, there's uh, there's another test that's been going on with another, um, and I'm not going to try and uh, peroxidolutamide, lutamide. I'm sorry, and on males, um, males are seem to struggle more with getting the illness and getting more serious disease from the the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So, um, and more a higher fatality rate. Um, and so they're testing this in males. It didn't seem to have much, I guess, efficacy in females, but it does seem to be uh, effective in males. But in this is in phase two, so they've got to go to phase three or expanded phase twos. Trials on it. Um, the ivermectin holds some plaza, some, uh, uh, I guess, some promise. Um, the next one is the convalescent plasma. Um, there are mixed results right now trying to understand what's going on. Uh, is it in fact helpful or not? And if so, is the window so narrow and the and the procedure so complex and manpower intensive where when the system's overwhelmed, there's just no, just not enough room and not enough people to properly administer the therapy. Um, so that, that type of testing, and again, it's going on with several hundred different types of therapies where people are again looking at, we've heard everything from antihistamines to um, different sleep aids and on and on, trying to see is there something that can break the chain. Um, the vaccine front, we, we understand the United States, um, there have now been over 26 million doses distributed with more as we speak, moving out 24-7 to uh, across the country to the different states as we focus on the U.S. right now um, in this podcast. Um, at least 10 million have been administered, so we can see it's it, the slowdown again is not necessarily logistics getting there, but because the dosing, the amount of doses per pack uh, and the, of course the extreme temperature that they've got to be supplied at making it very difficult uh, having enough people that are trained uh, coming up with more and more efficient ways to um, move people through and administer um, working through all the admin to understand who did get vaccinated and with which vaccine and when their second dose is required and how to get them in for that second dose there's a lot a lot of complexity here and when you talk about over 330 million humans you know, probably at least 200 million need to be vaccinated to reach that group immunity or herd immunity uh, concept to break these uh, viral transmission chains so we can go back to somewhat normal life. Um, there's the issue. Pfizer, we know Moderna have both pumped out now tens and almost hundreds of millions of, uh, of doses that are in, in process now or in the system now or staged to be put into the system. Uh, AstraZeneca's and Oxford's vaccine approved in the UK and a couple of other places, not in the US yet. 
the J&J and Novavax uh, vaccines are in phase three. Um, we may be looking at in the next 90 days, uh, some real action there. And so the idea of having four to five um, of these powerful vaccines available um, in tens to hundreds of millions of doses um, is encouraging for some kind of late spring to late summer um, where we got a, a lot of people vaccinated here. And we can see now if we're, if we're now at over 10 million, uh, getting, you know, getting more efficient and effective every day, um, we should be there. We know there are dozens in preclinical more options. There are 43 in phase one, 20 more in phase two, and yet 20 more in phase three. And of course, there are globally eight vaccines that are either emergency use authorization or approved. So incredible progress in just months. Uh, on the LPRC front, moving over, um, we were, we'll have this later. We are suggested by our producer, Kevin Tran, uh, an erosion of consequences and, and this deep sanctionary concept that uh, if we provide people with sanctuaries, whether real or imagined, um, and help them rationalize or neutralize or guilt, justify their actions, um, or they realize there's no real downside or consequences to victimizing others in their places uh, and property, then that might be part of what's going on and always has um, with criminal offending and victimizing people. So we'll talk more about that later, but it's an area of study for our team uh, as we pull together materials, anything we can find on it, and then work out ways that we can uh, measure relevant constructs, as we call them, um, and then finally do testing with those constructs to see, all right, how do we help people realize, you know what, if you do something wrong, if you harm somebody else um, in any way, their property or their person, uh, or even their peace and well-being, um, then there are deep consequences for you rather than you have deep sanctuary um, and uh, cover. So uh, FusionNet, we continue to, um, that's always available to our members, uh, but we had a cluster call around preparing for uh, the demonstration that was well advertised in the nation's capital. Um, we have another one coming up today, uh, this being Tuesday, uh, the 12th, uh, where we're going to be talking about with the group uh, at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on FusionNet uh, around preparing for the inauguration and so on. Uh, part of what's going on too, the confusion uh, is as retailers and others, and we post look for any and every uh, open source intelligence items that we can have is talking about false flag operations. In other words, um, doing something to make people think that you're part of that group um, or to lure somebody in. Uh, these have been real problems in uh, starting World War II in Vietnam. For example, um, where what looked like one country being assailed was in fact um, the, the other country that acted like it was them and they dressed up like them. So we see both the right and left, if you will, conservative and liberal groups that are conducting false flag operations right now, which can, makes it confusing. And the reason we think that's important for us to understand better is to see uh, if uh, how this is affecting our workers and their morale, how it's affecting uh, the safety and security of our people and our places, um, especially it looked like in the first demonstration we saw in D.C., um, there wasn't much retail damage. There's not as much effect there than more in government buildings like what we saw later at some point in Seattle and Portland or in um, Wisconsin, all where they occupied or attacked government buildings. Um, in this case, it seemed a little more isolated to that because we're talking about the nation's capital in that area where there mostly are just government buildings. Um, they're, not, they're not interfaced with uh, retail. 
So uh, stay tuned on FusionNet, um, vaccine cluster call two for those retailers that are going to be involved in distributing and administering the vaccine. Again, some of our retailer members are involved in the logistics uh, of moving the vaccine around the country more efficiently to the right, and getting it to the right place in time. Uh, others are somewhat involved in that, but are obviously the drugstores, supermarkets, um, and, and uh, so forth, the mass merchants like a Walmart and Target involved in actually administering the vaccine. So how do we do that more safely and securely for those involved that are administering and being administrated to? Um, moving to AI Solve, part of LPRC Innovate, um, we now have four servers either in the building on premises or not that are being designed and set up uh, for some pretty heavy 2D uh, IoT uh, integration as well as uh, artificial intelligence, both uh, as far as natural language processing, computer vision, uh, and even data recognition. Um, otherwise, and so uh, we're appreciative to Dell and NVIDIA, to Tyco, to Sensormatic uh, on the, the nation of these uh, heavy duty on-prem servers. Um, and so we moving over to Operation Next Level, uh, Lighthouse Consultants team of five professionals working with uh, Kevin Tran and Jesse on our team uh, to reach out and talk uh, with uh, retailers across the United States, North America, and then later over in Europe, UK, um, and elsewhere, and then going on from there. Uh, part of a board of advisors initiative as well with Smart Growth. So the idea is to bring in more and more really super sharp and committed retail companies into the fold. Um, and so uh, there is going to be an LPRC Research and Action webinar, uh, invitation only VIP webinar for next level invitees. In other words, uh, retailers that are interested in the LPRC and becoming part of the uh, research and results community. Um, we're excited about that. Uh, the member only LPRC kickoff uh, obviously, uh, every year we do it in January, just uh, following the NRF Big Show uh, up in New York, hosted by Bloomingdale's, will be virtual, um, heavy-duty planning. We've got the agenda. We've got the speakers. It's a really cool uh, rollout. So you'll see both in uh, the LPRC research, research in Action for uh, retailer prospects, if you will, member prospects, uh, and the LPRC kickoff will have different but both highly compelling new research findings and some great discussion opportunities, brainstorm opportunities around all the things that we're all experiencing in the same way we're doing with these uh, very illuminating cluster calls. Uh, the Ignite Winter Planning Meeting Conference, again, will not be able to be held in person here at uh, the University of Florida's uh, Innovate Hub. Uh, instead, will be virtual. So that's being planned right now. Um, new research on uh, organized retail crime. Uh, Corey Lowe, Dr. Lowe on our team has just conducted three different projects um, and some of will be put out at both of these meetings that we talked about, actually all three. Um, we'll have a strategy at session, by the way, for number ones and twos at the Ignite as part of that conference. So we're excited about that. Um, and we've got another randomized controlled trial uh, being planned right now with a major consumer products company. Uh, more to come on that later. So no further ado, I'm gonna turn it over to uh, Tom Meehan. And uh, Tom, if you could illuminate us on what in the world's going on in the United States and the world that we need to know about so we can become involved and engaged. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Reed. And uh, I think uh, it's been a, a crazy week since we taped last time. Um, 
uh, and uh, a lot of uh, updates. But um, I'm going to actually probably be a little bit more brief because they kind of all center around two things. One, I'll start with COVID-19. And um, there have been a plethora of reports of black market vaccines. And just to be aware of this, it's important to note that um, some of these warnings are preventative in nature to try to just remind people to be aware of the fact that with a vaccine like this um, and the way that it is being distributed today does allow you in some states to register in some countries to register. But this is not only a U.S. Uh, challenge, it's a global challenge where um, the black market vaccines, uh, and this is the really dangerous part, uh, the report talks about the potential for a counterfeit vaccines. It also talks about the potential for actual um, real vaccines that are um, taken or uh, you know, basically uh, through a hijacking type event. And then you have the risk of that these vaccines, while they're authentic, may not have been uh, controlled correctly from a temperature standpoint. This poses obviously a significant risk from a health and safety standpoint. And um, with that being said, there's also kind of been, if, if you've read the news, depending on what state, every state is handling kind of the distribution. And um, there is a, a, a general challenge around distribution of these vaccines. Um, and it's not just the, the shipping challenge or the blue box challenge keeping it closed, but it's also having an, an, a really simplified approach to ho who gets it, when they get it, and then as Reed, uh, I think, mentioned earlier, it's not just about the vaccines, it's about people who can properly administrate it, uh, the length of time that they last. So this black market vaccine thing, I think, is a very real um, thing that is coming. I think we will see it outside of the U.S. first, um, especially in some European countries where um, they are developed countries, but they don't have really the same uh, uh, critical infrastructure to help support a mass vaccination effort. So Czech Republic, Poland, um, uh, those those two countries come to mind just because I, I, I deal with them regularly and I, I speak to folks there where there's not really a, a straightforward approach on vaccination and everybody's kind of in this limbo, if you will, about, hey, what, what do I need to do to get a vaccination? So more to come on that. The next thing um, I'll talk about, which is probably the thing that will spend some time on as the LPRC with the fusion net is the potential for civil unrest um, and violent civil unrest in the, in the upcoming days um, and weeks, quite honestly. Um, there's uh, the FBI re released a report and um, I would say that this report is probably in, in an abundance of caution based on the unfortunate events that happened recently in the Capitol. And the report is, Staggering when you when you read it because it basically says that there should be an expectation of violent civil unrest in all 50 states. Um, now, you know, without any factual evidence to support this, I think there is this challenge of balancing intelligence with actionable data. And um, when you have an event that uh, like what occurred in D.C. on the sixth, which while it, it may not have been the largest gathering. Um, we've seen in the last year, or even the most violent gathering, there's an emotional attachment to the United States around um, the Capitol buildings and what occurred. So there's also this um, kind of perception that these buildings are in, impenetrable. So when you have an event that occurs there, I think it has um, more of a 
more of an impact on folks because they see it occurring. So uh, we'll continue to update. I, I think we have a, um, a fusion net call on Thursday this week. So today is Tuesday the 12th. So the, on the 14th, we'll have a call um, uh, here to talk about some of the things that, uh, that occurred. And I think the, for a retailer, the challenge is how do you balance, um, you know, I would say almost a full year of civil unrest with the event that occurred on the, the 6th. I think Reed mentioned uh, the capital event. Um, while I don't want to say wholly, um, in, in most cases, avoided direct impact on our listeners and retail because of the proximity um, to major retail establishments. So I think there was less of an impact that there was before. Um, and while I don't know that we'll get too far into it is there is a tremendous, tremendous amount of use of so, uh, social media here. Um, and you know, we, we all have to be very cautious that when we're using social media to gather intelligence, we have, uh, I know we all know it, we all say it at the same time is that the, the validity of that information, unfortunately, at times cannot cannot really be seen until it's too late, until it's actually occurring. So um, the false flag event where you have folks from the other side appearing to be there on one side, sending information. Um, there is a lot of a, a, a lot of posts that I'm seeing that are really agenda based. They aren't actually really specific on events. They're more um, just saying something's going to occur. And then when you dig in a little deeper, you can um, draw the conclusion that these folks aren't actually a part of any group, that they're just uh, trying to either send a message or an agenda. And within reason, uh, some of these civil unrest obviously causes disruption. But when you think of um, domestic terror, and I'm, I know I, I know when I say that I, I'm, I'm not actually referring to the six, but the, the methodology here uh, with some of these false flags events is just to cause concern. So it's actually not necessarily about whether or not something will occur. It's about making people close their stores, plan for something to occur, even if it may not occur. So when you think of that, um, this is the one time I would say you really have to spend a little bit more time uh, you know, validating the information as much as you can. Is it coming from a source that um, is credible? Is it coming from a source that has been involved before? So clearly, if you're using social media, some of the, the simple things to look for is if you have, if you're following a person and watching a person making a threat, and they have a lot of videos of themselves at prior protests, and they're an activist that's been involved, that you may want to come up with an individual rating system to say, based on what I'm seeing, this is probably, there's a higher likelihood that this could really occur versus a post of a brand new account that something hasn't occurred. Now, that's very anecdotal and not scientific in nature, but what I would say is I've not, I've never seen the amount of activity that I've seen on social media um, that I've seen in the last two weeks based on threats of violence um, and threats of, of civil disturbance that's going to occur based on um, you know, some of the events that occurred in DC this, this past week. So um, with that, I would just say to stay vigilant, um, use the resource of the LPRC. Uh, the Fusion Net is, uh, Net is great because it, it allows you to interact with several different folks in the same space at the same time. Um, and that, that helps kind of work through, I heard from law enforcement, so my source is X and, you know, I'm seeing this and you can connect the dots and kind of create a better, um, a 
a better outcome or a better information uh, stream based on having all of the folks involved versus just some of the posts involved. Um, I do believe based on what I'm seeing that there will be absolutely some events. It feels like, um, and again, anecdotal talking about what I'm seeing on social media, so I'm always overly cautious to state this when I say something like this. It feels like there are a, a, a lot of small group type events that are being talked about on social media. So what I'm seeing is I'm seeing a lot of individualized, smaller subsets of groups talking about events and um, very small event driven type uh, communication where there's a small group of 100 or so. I would say that um, in the past, the uh, I would would have told you that the Proud Boys was a very small, unorganized group. Um, I think that they have um, a much greater presence this time than they did before. And um, I'm not going to debate or argue the, the fact of an ideology or a, an actual group, because I think both of them have um, real challenges and real things that you have to be concerned about. Obviously, groups are more organized and can come across, but I, I, I think I was a talking to an intelligence professional recently and they said, well, that's not really, you know, they're not really organized. It's just a bunch of people getting together and trying to create havoc. And, you know, my, my response to that is that that and sometimes could be worse, the unorganized approach. The other thing that, uh, and I'll wrap it up with this, is that there has been a subset of um, neo-Nazi white supremacy um, groups that are have been for many years segregated into their own that are now molding into and taking advantage of the kind of the, the proud guys uh, slogan or the QAnon slogan. They're not what you would say are traditional uh, folks that you'd see in that group. Um, they generally have uh, some, in some cases, some of the folks I'm following have extensive criminal histories around and um, are usually um, I don't know if that's the right term, but usually a loner or in a group that is around white supremacy and not actually what you would normally see in some of these protests. Now, again, that could be an agitator taking advantage. It could be um, someone that truly has changed their methodology of thinking. Um, but um, it's important to note that some of these groups, you have really, I, I don't want to use the word, but really yeah, bad folks that are now involved in groups that before were political in nature and um, were nonviolent. And now you have uh, some uh, really hardened criminals involved that basically want to agitate and, and this allows them a channel to run through. And then the last thing we're seeing a huge spike in, which I think we do see in most protests of this nature, um, whether it be um, at the a BLM protest or even a, an animal rights protest is professional agitators. And uh, what I say by professional agitators, these are paid individuals that actually are like event planners. They um, they use the same things that we would use to talk about LPRC impact. They use apps and advertising and all sorts of um, things along that nature. And one of the easiest ways to identify a paid ad, uh, agitator uh, via social media, because they do use social media and they do really um, they want to advertise, they want people to know who they are, is um, one of the individuals that um, someone asked me to look at uh, was at, at a, a fur, an anti-fur protest, was at a BLM protest, and now was at DC. Um, and they are someone who has 
uh, believe it or not, an LLC and a licensed name. And they actually go around and uh, what they say is they're an event organizer and a photographer, but they're what I call a professional paid uh, agitator. They actually uh, work with someone. Someone usually does pay them. Um, They they at times actually rent buses to bus people in. So I've seen a, an increase of that type of activity um, where it's a person with that background saying, come to this spot, we'll have a bus, we'll bring you in, we'll give you box lunches. It sounds humorous when I say box lunches, but um, it also allows them to um, solicit or bring people in that would not normally be there. So much, much more to come. I'm sure on the next podcast, we'll have even more to talk about it. But my message to everyone is to please stay safe um, and err on the side of caution with this one. I, w- I would say that um, the stakes are a lot higher. There are a lot of folks that are agitated. Um, you know, there's clearly a divide in the country. But uh, if you were going to make a business decision before and teetering on waiting till something occurred, my recommendation again, and this is Tom Meehan's recommendation, not LPRC, not control text, uh, is to take the extra step and maybe board the building up and get your folks out. If you're in a if you're in a hotbed, if you're in in the hotbeds that have been hotbeds uh, throughout the year, um, I do believe that we will see some activity that's unprecedented. Uh, over to you, Tony. Thank you very much, uh, Tom. Very sobering comments uh, in terms of what we're dealing with right now, both on in the pandemic, as Reed was mentioning, and uh, more important recently, all the activities uh, in DC. So I'm gonna switch to a lighter topic and actually look forward into 2021. And this week concentrate on the predictions for the year in terms of how 2021 will shape from a technology and also trends point of view. So let me start with seven retail technology trends to watch in 2021 from RIS News. Number one, supply chain fulfillment rethink. 71% 71% of, of retailers name lack of real-time inventory visibility as a top supply chain obstacle that reduces efficiency and productivity. Retailers will invest in the back and front office as related to supply chain, inventory management, distribution, track and trace, and delivery fulfillment. Number two, social commerce. Facebook and Instagram accelerated the deployment of social media platform shopping capabilities in 2020, social shops and ad platforms are an opportunity to engage shoppers, build a relationship and drive sales. Number three, data analytics. Expect analytics platforms, tools and people upgrades as retailers look to play catch up in more effectively with using data that they've been only collecting and storing. Expect workloads to shift more quickly to cloud versus on-premises. Number four, customer 360. While the phrase customer 360 has been in the market for years, new definition and ways of building customer profiles are evolving as as data sources and cloud-based integrated data platforms evolve. Expect retailers to continue to test and learn in this space. Number five, stores for digital natives. Digitally native brands have a unique opportunity to test physical stores in 2021 with plentiful and prime commercial real estate options available globally. And I I do see more digital native brands opening physical stores this year. Uh, Number six, core modernization and security. Security of data, application and other elements managed by retailers will continue 
to be a top priority. To enable this, modernizing the core, pursuing a journey to cloud and deploying resilient security protocols will be a priority in uh, 2021. And finally, the seventh trend from RIS News, closet resupply as we reopen. So shoppers will be eager to renew and restock as the economy opens, especially when retailers train shoppers that it's time to uh, reopen the wardrobe for business and get out of the yoga pants and golf shirts. And my favorite from this uh, these trends was their buzzwords that this author saw in 2021. And these were the buzzwords that he saw with for 2021, digital transformation, digital core, modernization, AI, machine learning, cloud migration, chat robots, intelligent automation, microservices, customer 360, control tower, agile, store of the future, and scaling. These replaced the buzzwords in 2020, which were, my Wi-Fi is not working. I think you're on mute. Sorry, I was on mute. Sorry, my dog are barking and your screen froze. So those are the words that we leave behind in 2020, hopefully. So those are RIS. Let me switch to uh, 2021 predictions from an analyst, analysis of 200 plus articles by visual capitalists. And this is just a running list that I'll go through. I won't number them. So environmental, social and governance, investing reaches a tipping point. Brands must be authentic and value-driven. Big tech backlash continues. Bitcoin hits the $50,000 mark. Certain mid-sized US cities get a boost. Everybody now loves Austin, for example. Facebook will bend and possibly break. A broad trend of decentralization. China has a strong 2021. Individuals and, and employers start taking wellness seriously. Inequalities continue to worsen uh, during a K-shaped recovery. U.S. cities get creative with space and mobility. Movie theaters begin their next act. A great rethinking of office life is underway. American millennials will answer the call of the suburbs a weakness in US dollar, summer of love 2021, no idea what that means, strong US housing market, cautious optimism about the European economy. Most companies will embrace a hybrid work model, uh, a souring outlook on specs, which are special purpose acquisition companies, positive growth for small cap stocks, global GDP growth next year, likely in the five to 6% range, low and stable mortgage rates, ballooning debt and deficits, and all eyes are on Apple in terms of growth acquisitions and new products. So those are the ones from Visual Capitalist. And let me end with my own. I just published a new blog this week on my three surprising prediction for 2021. And they are the following. Uh, number one, we're coming out of uh, financial pain, uh, really that the, in 2020 will cover a reduction in global retail sales of $1.6 trillion. In dealing with this pain, we need to keep in mind these three things. Number one, safety concerns, but we would ask for all of 2021, and in fact, they'll continue in 2022. In April, a majority of consumers uh, felt not safe going into malls. In August, safety became a top three 
uh, purchase driver for consumers. Uh, it was actually tied with ease of buying, with value of money being number one. A December podcast featuring a coronavirus. Uh, University of North Carolina scientists pointed out that we may reach um, herd immunity for 70% of most of in most developed uh, economies, but it will take longer for the world's 8 billion people worldwide, especially in emerging economies. And with new strains emerging, it will be difficult even for developed economies to return to full normal. Just think of what's happening right now with the UK strain and the South Carol, South Africa uh, strain. So those strains really wreak havoc in, in all of the world in terms of their, their, their arrival. Number two trend that I see is high-speed digital transformation. A McKinsey report uh, in August stated that um, in 90 days, we accelerated 10 years worth of consumer and digital adoption. And that trend really is continuing. Almost three quarters in an MIT survey um, believe the crisis has sparked internal innovation. So in other words, everybody's in the companies now are focused on innovation. 90% in companies expect corporate technology adoption to speed up. Hottest uh, tech, according to uh, the same MIT survey, are product and service digitization, data analytics, supply chain digitization, cloud migration, AI, Internet of Things, and robotics. And the number 310 that I see is more time-saving retail services, please. Uh, 2019 Wall Street Journal article pointed out that Americans spend 1.2 billion hours each week driving to the mall, finding a parking space, wandering around the aisles, checking out, and then driving back home. To me, that sounds like a lot of wasted space. So and consumers are really liking the new services. I've talked about this before. They're getting extremely high ratings. So for example, buy online, pick up in stores in the holidays got four out of five stars. Curbside retails got 4.3 out of five stars. And the reason they like these are beyond safety. So consumers like these because of the short wait times, lower cost than delivery. They are reliable. They speed up fulfillment. And last, they actually listed concern with safety. So they like the fact that they're gaining time. My view is that we'll have a tough first three to six months, but then it will get better, especially in the developed world. But it will take longer than even 2021 for the entire GOPA population reach herd immunity, which means we'll be on guard for a while. So the world that COVID-19 leaves behind will include increased concerns with safety, dramatically higher digital transformation and in increased utilization of time-saving consumer services. And with that, back to you, Reed. All right, excellent. Thank you so much, Tony, Tom. Uh, a lot of insights, uh, I think, for our listeners. You know, we're, we're on guard here. We're scanning everything we can. <clears throat> we're always uh, remaining objective. Um, we want to make sure that we're collecting information across the board, uh, applying the scientific method whenever possible. You know, that means there's some kind of logic model, um, how things might work. Um, and then there's evidence, right, or observations to collect to see, all right, does that support or not support the initial hypothesis or view uh, or thought? So um, 
we want to do that with everything we can we can it's not always optimal at first we have to first start collecting initial information so but with the pandemic i, I like tony the way you finished up i think the world is um i wouldn't say we've grown up but we've certainly learned a lot of lessons hopefully um as far as human behavior as well as viral uh, or, or pathogenic behavior um, and how the two are completely linked in the same way we talk about red and green shoppers, you know, that the people that we want to be on our property buying, working, um, being productive, they're legitimate place users. Um, and the red shopper, the person that's there to victimize that place and the people that are there using the place uh, are, are a problem, but they're, they're linked. Uh, and, and so we have to continue to look at things holistically. And that's what we'll do here at the LPRC. So uh, on behalf of myself, our producer, Kevin Tran, Tom Ian, and Tony D'Onofrio, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to Crime Science Podcast. Everybody, please stay safe. Let's break the chain and get on with everything. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more Crime Science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Office Prevention Research Council.